Hey, I'm Danny Levy, and you're listening to Digital Transformation and Leadership. This is the show where we go behind the scenes with today's top business leaders to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. This week, I'm joined by Dom Einhorn, founder and CEO at Unicorn Incubator. Dom, welcome to Digital Transformation and Leadership. Thanks for having me, Danny. Pleasure being here. Yeah, thank you very much for joining me. So you're, you're dialing in uh, from Europe today? I'm in the south of France as we speak. Yeah. Yep. How's the how's things uh, in the south of France at the moment? You know, it's interesting. We're a little bad weather, a uh, lot of rain, a lot of flooding recently. But uh, yeah, okay. you know, in the summer when you have uh, a drought, it might it might help later on. <laughs> yeah, that's right. The vegetation does benefit <laughs> without a doubt. So, so Dom, just before we we get into it today, it would be great if you could uh, quickly introduce yourself and and who it, who you are and what it is you're doing. Sure. My name is uh, Dom Einhorn. Uh, last name is spelled E-I-N-H-O-R-N. In German, Einhorn means unicorn. Uh, I was born and raised in France, half French, half German upbringing. Uh, I spent the bulk part of my adult life in the U.S., on the West Coast in particular, and in the city of Los Angeles. In uh, early 2018, I decided to move back to France in order to launch what is slowly shaping up to become the largest rural incubator and accelerator for technology startups, named Unicorn with a Q. Uh, we're both an incubator and an accelerator. Uh, we're roughly 30 people inside of Unicorn, not counting the startups, hailing from 18 different nationalities, and interestingly enough, uh, more women than men. Amazing. And you're also the founder of this uh, Super Cup, which I've been reading upon a lot online. It looks amazing, looks really exciting. Thank you very much. Yeah, the Startup Super Cup is in continuation of what we started in 2018. It's a, an event that will take place physically here in the city of Sala. Uh, it's spelled S-A-R-L-A-T in the southwest of France on the weekend of October 1, 2, and 3. It will bring together roughly a thousand people, including 800 plus angel investors and funds. Uh, a little over 100 media outlets, and uh, most importantly, uh, 100 to 120 uh, relatively early stage technology startups in fields, varied fields like uh, AI, AR, VR, fintech, educational technologies, biotech, etc. How, how do you how do you go about vetting the angel investors, Dom? Because I mean, a thousand people is quite a large number. What do you do to make sure that the quality remains high? And yeah, excellent yeah. question. Because I've personally attended a number of these events uh, over the last uh, 10 to 15 years, and uh, I've asked myself sometimes the same question. <laughs> uh, not to be rude, but sometimes, what is this person doing here? Uh, what we're doing basically is we we built our own internal filter over the years where we're able to distinguish the curiosity seeker from the check writer. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we have our own network of people who have followed our deals, who have actually physically invested in our deals, have invested in other deals. That's the criteria we look for first and foremost. Have you made an investment within the last year? That's a, a question we physically ask and we also ask for proof that actually has happened either directly or by way of their network in case they are, uh, as happens so often, a business angel network. Okay. And and do you use a platform for people to kind of set up meetings or do the matchmaking early so that they can make the most out of the time on site? We Yes, we're still debating. We're probably going to shoot for a platform like Brella, which I personally like, okay. which I've used for quite a while. Uh, yeah. 
primary reason there, I also have built a network that I can probably carry over. Uh, yeah. Same thing with some startups that are participating, as well as some angels who would like it very much too. Very exciting. The Super Cup in October. It sounds awesome. I, I hope to be able to hop on a plane and come I over. I hope you can Singapore. too. Yeah, we're, <laughs> yeah. Definitely, we're definitely looking to have a physical event. Uh, yeah. Hopefully at the tail end of, uh, of COVID, uh, numbers, while still not looking good, I think the, the trend is your friend. Uh, mm-hmm. there, there will be a, a, a hot summer season in between as well. And we do hope that at some point in time, we can actually gather again and actually meet some people. So, so we better get into the topic for today. But before we did that, I always like to break the ice a little bit, Dom. I just wanted to ask you, are you, are you Team Coke or Team Pepsi? <laughs> I'm a little bit of neither, a little bit of both, I'd say. Okay. So, uh, not no longer a uh, phys- physically speaking, no longer a, uh, a diet or even a hard Coke or Pepsi drinker. Okay. Uh, in terms of actual flavor in the figurative sense, I think I am a little bit of both. Uh, but it's interesting because I'm primarily a marketer. Uh, mm-hmm. So, if you're looking at, you know, that metaphor, uh, I think you'd have to focus on. Uh, what becomes your core differentiator in the marketplace today mm. in a time where if you're if you're taking a ride share in the US are you using Uber or Lyft is there really a difference you know yeah. price, price is pretty much the same service the car that picks you up is pretty much the same so uh, with technology become the great equalizer I think that question is probably more apropos today than, than ever before <laughs> how do you how do you stand out from a crowd and what makes you different that's it and often I think uh, if you are the challenger brand, it's all about kind of playing up to that, isn't it? And, e- and even being honest about it. I know um, Avis, the renter car, did it very well many years ago when they were kind of the challenger brand and they came out with all the print advertisements around. We try harder. Why they might? Yeah, we try harder. There you go. Yeah. And that's, you know, car rental industry obviously heavily disrupted by, by ride mm. sharing uh, in particular. Uh, you know, the Hertz, Hertz filed for bankruptcy, I think, more than once. And, uh, mm. But I, I think you know what, what you're what you're seeing today is as a result of the technology being so rapidly democratized and demonetized mm-hmm. that the new currency is not necessarily money. Uh, mm-hmm. It will be a unit of value, but uh, more and more people, including myself, are asking themselves whether money is actually really a currency long term. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, trust clearly in class often often translates into money if you're doing the right thing at the right time for an yeah. extended period of time and obviously then decentralized finance uh, you know what will happen to fiat currency all we know uh, as history indicates is that no fiat currency has ever survived I don't think the US mm-hmm. dollar the euro or any other currency will be the first one and, and Bitcoin continues to surprise yeah <laughs> interesting interestingly so and I think that goes straight yeah. to trust uh, I think yeah. the sad part that it demonstrates is that uh, more and more people uh, trust their peers more so than their central governments. Well, especially given what's happened, I think, geopolitically, right, especially over the last couple of years, there's been a real shift towards you know, kind of looking at these currencies in a very different way. And obviously, technology is an enabler for, for people to go on and, and voice those opinions. And sometimes that causes this kind of fragmentation of views. No question whatsoever, and, yeah. and uh, the big money starting to move in, and the big money was not only reluctant initially, but was uh, very, was voicing his opinion uh, very strongly until mm. uh, even you know six months ago, and some of the same players are jumping head in first now. But the topic we're going to get into today is uh, why and where you should incubate your tech startup. 
uh, and we've got three points that we're going to talk around. The first one is the why. So I'd just love for you to kick us off now for, for this one. Well, I, I think as far as we're concerned, obviously, I don't want to say we're an isolated case, but we're somewhat different by design. We decided to move into a rural area where most incubators and accelerators today are still in large metropolitan areas. We made that decision uh, early on before COVID when market research back in 2017 indicated that roughly 12% of young startups, young startup entrepreneurs wanted to move away from big cities into smaller rural areas. Uh, I was actually shocked by that number, not because I thought it was low, mm -hmm. but because it was high. I was expecting maybe three or 4% at the most. Uh, fast forward COVID to COVID, when COVID happened, the same numbers today are in the 35, 38% range from you know big cities, London, New York, Los Angeles, Tokyo, uh, Berlin, and what we're seeing even here in France are secondary cities uh, close around, people from Bordeaux and from Toulouse are a couple hours away from us mm -hmm. that are asking us every single day, you know, yeah. how can we integrate your system? I think that's a major, major trend. Uh, I think uh, another reason why is that we believe that you're better off uh, in a small incubator like ours because lone wolf ventures rarely succeed, I like to say. Uh, mm. We see this very often where, you know, uh, we hear very often of lone wolf terrorists. And I think, <laughs> I think the comparison is probably apropos here as well, is that you have a high tendency of hurting yourself and hurting your chances of succeeding if you don't surround yourself with a virtuous ecosystem. Yeah. We all tend to be specialists, uh, more so than generalists. We have strengths and weaknesses. And uh, we very often have uh, great minds, great entrepreneurs that come to us uh, that are open and frank enough to say, look, I, am, I know everything about AI, but I know how to, do, how, to, how to run a business. Can you guys help me? That's a very yeah. concrete example, right? Uh, on the flip side, we have more the hustler types, great salespeople that are looking to align themselves with, with a passion, something that I like they can quickly integrate a startup and really help them scale, help them hack growth. Right? Yeah. They, they also left alone as a lone wolf, they would rarely succeed or they would have a limited success not surrounding themselves or not integrating what I call virtuous ecosystem. Mm. And then another reason why is that typically what we see in the incubation process is that you have basically three stages and I call them the crawl, walk, run stage. So okay. the crawl would be the incubation stage, the walk would be the acceleration stage, and the run would basically, basically be a stage where you can actually thrive. And okay. as its name indicates, an incubator, very much like the incubator we have in hospitals, is meant to first and foremost ensure survival. That's the reason why we take yeah. premature babies and we put them into a physical incubator. So that's what we do early on. Uh, so we try to identify weaknesses, uh, sometimes uh, life-threatening weaknesses, and we try to remedy those. Uh, once the startup becomes more stable, mm -hmm. we teach it to walk. Uh, okay. the, you know, there we make sure that it actually builds a strong team around itself. Uh, again, a strong team of specialists. You know, building a team is like building a puzzle. The last person I need on that on that board is another me when I have a gaping hole left and right. Uh, so we help them with that, identify the right of, type of talent that they need in order to, uh, to be able to grow. 
And then uh, last but not least, assuming the exit from that stage, and that usually would take three to six months, depending on the maturity level of maturity, we, we then try to put them into our accelerator. And uh, mm -hmm. in particular for B2C plays, that usually revolves around uh, customer acquisition strategies, you know, and really yeah. scaling on that on, on that side of the business, because you've already proven that you have uh, an MVP that people are willing to purchase your product or your service, and now it's time to scale. Wow, so much uh, so much good stuff there, Dom. Uh, quite a lot to unpack. Um, one of the things you mentioned, and I just wondered for listeners out there that, you know, they've never had a startup. Um, they've not really been involved in the whole incubator life. And you mentioned that when you're, when you're kind of going out there, it's, it's so much better to work in an incubator environment because you've got the kind of additional resources and expertise that you can lean on that maybe you don't have if you're a hustler or if you're a, a product person, but you don't have that business expertise. Um, if you were doing a startup right now, if you're setting up a company and you're looking for an incubator, how do you go about selecting the right incubator for you? What would you recommend people actually look for and, and how do they get started? I don't think there is a one size fits all. I also don't okay. think it's a coke and situation as we discussed earlier. Yeah. I, I think certainly flavor comes into play, but I think you, you mm -hmm. personally have, you have to take a look at your personal situation, situation first and foremost. Where are you in your, in your stage of development? Are you pre-seed? You know, what kind of help do you need? Because most incubators are becoming more and more specialized. Mm -hmm. right? Some of them will provide you with capital. Others, want, others will not. In some places, you just walk in, you have a, you have a, a fold-out desk in front of you, and you're left on your own. Okay. So you really have to dig a little bit deeper to see who is behind the incubator. Uh, usually, what I you know, what I recommend too with people that don't integrate with us here is to make sure they can also identify incubators that were started by former entrepreneurs and not some government entity that threw some grant money out there just to build a space where people could actually do something. Okay. You know, you do not want to be left alone, basically. Yeah. Uh, so that's yeah. what I call the virtuous ecosystem. You want mm -hmm. to make sure that you have everything that you need at your fingertips, be it legal, accounting, graphic design, development, access to salespeople, uh, access, access to networks if you want to raise incremental funds. So all of these are very important, uh, important aspects to take into consideration when you're selecting the right, the right incubator to work with. Good stuff there. I, li I like the point you made around identifying the incubator that's been started by a former entrepreneur because, again, you would know that the, the building blocks are there going in and uh, you, you'd have that kind of resource talking internally and, and getting that expertise rather than just the, the fold-up desk. Nobody wants that. Yeah, no question. <laughs> yeah. One additional benefit I, I I like to add is that yeah. you know that entrepreneur, in order to build that place, probably had to raise mm. money. So yep. <laughs> if you're in the money-raising mode, he can probably <laughs> help you in that front as well. I would definitely befriend yeah. the, uh, the mm. owner slash manager of that place because yeah. he can be instrumental in helping you succeed. Yeah. Almost like a, a powerful mentor. Yes. Yeah. And, and you mentioned, Dom, around the other, the other thing you do is you really look at um, building a team, and it's like building a puzzle you mentioned there. I would love for you to share with the listeners maybe how you do that and, and some of the key pillars you recommend when people are starting to put their team together. Yeah. Usually what I'd like to do is I'd like to tell people to hire for the first hire you should you should bring on is someone who is mm. the opposite of you. Okay. So if you are an engineer and sometimes that's obviously in tech startups we see this very often you have three PhDs that start a, you know, 
a company together. They focus on, on one major problem. They, they build a solution, but with the engineering mind. Mm -hmm. And they build, they build, they build the features, features, features without necessarily seeing the core benefit of those features. Okay. So you need a great communicator, you know, which is usually a hustler slash a, sale, a salesperson who can actually communicate and maybe help you kind of like pivot slightly to, to ensure better product market fit before you go too deep into the funnel and you realize, oh, wow, maybe we have to re-engineer this. <laughs> uh, what I often see too is especially in the engineering types is to build not necessarily having product market fit but being so passionate about a specific topic that they build somewhat of a vanity type of business that doesn't necessarily okay. have a real life application and to the extreme what i what i've seen as well and that's extreme certainly not the, the majority of the cases mm. some people tend to build problems and the solution to that problem. So the problem doesn't yeah. exist yet. I actually have to create it and then I'm providing the solution at the same time. That's obviously not sustainable okay. in the long run. Is that because the, they fall in love with the product almost, like yes. I mentioned, and they kind of go down a rabbit hole without yes. thinking about they the somehow, customer? I mean, it, it yeah. goes somewhat back to the lone wolf um, yeah. you know, that I mentioned earlier. Sometimes the lone wolf can be this nucleus of two or three founders that just never challenge each other. They don't doubt each other. They went mm -hmm. to the same school, they're buddies, buddies, you know, they hang out. Uh, what you really need is not someone who pats you on the back, say, hey, you're on the right track. You need someone mm -hmm. who challenges you and asks you some, you know, some real questions like, are you sure this is going to work this way? And then the biggest, you know, if you feel you're on that track. So what we do internally prior to allocating a tremendous amount of resources, building a new product or service, there's a real test. You can do a validation test which consists in reaching out to your existing customer base. If you don't have an existing customer base yet, reach mm -hmm. out to people who you believe would be your most likely customers and pitch them on a concept and ask for a down payment. Basically, the way it works is, is like this. Mm -hmm. Mr. Client, Mr. Prospective Client, we are aware that you're facing this problem. We've been, we started working on a solution to this problem. Here's what it looks like. The solution yep. is not ready on the market today. It will be on the market six, eight, 10, 12 months from now. In order to bring this product to market, we would like for your help. Would you be willing to give us 10 to 20% deposit at a discounted rate against future delivery? Hmm. So you actually want to pre-sell the concept itself. And if people actually buy into that, you're on the right track. Instead yeah. of spending two or three years worth of development, your time, your money, friends and family funds, potentially even investor funds and realizing running into a brick wall. Because you're going then directly to the source and getting that feedback. Correct. Rather than waiting until you've optimized and launched the product to then get that feedback, yeah. which is then too late. Yeah. And you, you know, <laughs> yeah. and you don't need a nod. You actually need yeah. someone who is willing not to pay you full price, but it, it, you know, a down payment against a discounted, mm. uh, discounted offer later on. Yeah, I guess as well, if you do do that, um, based on the feedback you get, you can also do a course correction if you need to. Without a doubt. You know, on the flip side, you know, this is the engineering type, of, obviously, of which we're seeing quite a few these days. But mm. you also have the pure hustler who, yeah. 
who who's excellent at selling you something that doesn't exist it's pretty much the opposite <laughs> right <laughs> you you see that quite a bit as well uh so on the, on a day-to-day basis i think we get between on a bad day 50 and a good day 150 requests on linkedin alone al- along with pitch decks mm-hmm. and uh well some people are just peddling smoke smoke and mirrors you know so it's it's yeah. uh, but you think if you, if a person can actually do that and, and and engage you, what how powerful they actually could be, if aligned with the right startup, that has a great product but has a hard time communicating the value proposition, right? Mm. That's actually yeah. where team building comes in. You mm-hmm. need to be able to properly communicate, especially in a world today where, again, the differentiator between one brand and another is not necessarily a markable one. You know, yeah. Coke and Pepsi. Illusion is yeah. a perfect one. Uh, Uber versus uh, Lyft, Airbnb yeah. versus uh, stay at home or homestay, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera, right? So uh, how do you really stand out from the crowd? Because as a result of technology being so democratized, so demonetized over the last 20, 25 mm. years, anyone can launch a business today yeah. within five to 10 minutes. But the real differentiator ultimately is standing out engaging yeah. etc yeah i i guess to that point then is it is it also when you're looking at kind of that that puzzle building the team is it also worth bringing in someone like a marketer that maybe kind of a category person that can kind of position you in the right way as well in terms of how they package the product i, I think so i think early stage yeah. Yeah, you'd probably bring in more like a consultant on the actual strategy mm-hmm. uh yeah. once the product service is on the market you definitely want to figure out I know how to growth hack, right? Yeah. That's where you would need more like the hustler, more like the creative person that actually has a proven track record of taking your types of product to market, you know, rapidly, quickly using growth mm-hmm. hacking techniques, uh, be it via social media, SEO, ASO, etc. Uh, we were talking about it earlier before we hit record, but I think Clubhouse is a good example because actually what they brought to the market in terms of kind of, I guess, tech and user design when it first launched wasn't anything radical and it's kind of like a bit like a podcast i haven't used it but it's a bit like a podcast so i hear and but the way they marketed it in terms of making it very exclusive and only a limited number of signups and you kind yep. of saw that fear of missing out kind of spreading across social media as people felt like they didn't have access i yeah, thought that was quite a way a clever way to do a launch no doubt i call the yeah. the strategy the illusion the illusion of scarcity Yes. So, <laughs> whenever you whenever you tell people so, something, it's like the, the clubs we all went to. At least for me, when I was younger, yeah. you know, you see the line outside. There's nobody inside. Yeah, yeah, that was it, right? They could exactly. put the velvet everybody rope w- outside. Everybody wants and it. And <laughs> the, once the velvet rope's outside and a big bouncer, <laughs> you're thinking, what's in? What's through those doors? <laughs> you wait for for yeah. for an hour and a half outside. You walk in. There are three people inside. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in but, this case, but, a lot of people inside as well. Yeah, it's interesting. It's called Clubhouse too. I guess we better we better get into the second point, Dom, uh, around the where. So it'd be great if you could you could you could talk us through this one. Sure. Uh, I think as a result, again, of uh, technology democratizing over the last 25 years and becoming rapidly demonetized, what we've learned today is that you can thrive from anywhere. You can launch a business. Mm-hmm. You know, probably soon on the moon, and maybe even maybe even sooner on Mars. Uh, there may be a lot of opportunities in that. And typically, when you do ask an aggressive entrepreneur, 
and you give him the right opportunity at the right time, he doesn't really care where he needs to go in order to make it happen. Yeah. So it's not it's not a far stretch to tell them, look, if I offered you an opportunity to grow a business in the south of France, uh, you know, people don't necessarily associate south of France with business, at least not yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's they probably think the French Riviera, maybe the Provence for some of them that know it. You know, we're closer to Bordeaux. Uh, but I do believe that the future is not in Silicon Valley. I'm not. Mm-hmm. I'm not the only one to believe that. I believe that obviously Silicon Valley will always be around in some shape or form or another. But uh, we do see a flight of talent leaving Silicon Valley, especially in the yeah. on the early stage scene, uh, with exorbitant rents, uh, space hard to come by, uh, housing being extremely expensive. So if you do raise money. As a as a startup, obviously, if your use of proceeds uh, states that you're going to be spending fifty thousand dollars a month on uh, on rent in big places like London, Singapore, Tokyo, to a certain extent even Paris, and I come to you with an offer saying, hey, uh, mm-hmm. instead of spending three hours on traffic, you can walk across the street, be at work for a rent factor that's thirty x lower. I probably should get your interest. If I don't, I'd be concerned as an investor as well. So yeah. <clears throat> I think what you need to do in, in, in order to determine where you want to launch is you really need to take a closed look at the best ecosystems that are available to you. Uh, obviously, again, one size does not fit all. You really have to ask yourself what it is that you're looking for, uh, how much money do you need to raise, and based upon the amount of money that you really need to raise, how much do you need to allocate towards rent, uh, labor, uh, et cetera, et cetera. Right? Knowing that are all, mm-hmm. you know, there are better options potentially out there, and we strongly believe that we're offering one of those better options in a place where you can, uh, uh, where you can live and work, as we like to call it. Mm-hmm. So we're currently, for example, we're th- roughly 30 people inside a unicorn, not counting the startups, uh, hailing from 18 different nationalities, uh, mostly mostly female, actually, which is pretty rare in the, in this yeah. space, as we both know. And just to give you one little example, uh, some of my best engineering talent I've worked with for uh, 15, 16 years now, two engineers out of Panama. Mm -hmm. I used to have an office in Panama. They used to commute back and forth to the office uh, for three and a half hours a day. Uh, Today, they walk to the office, five minute leisurely walk, they drop off the kids to the office on their way home to pick them up and go home. They don't even, they, they can't, they can't even fathom, you know, the, the improvement in way of life, health. One of them has lost 30 pounds ever since he's been here just by walking to the office and <laughs> completely cleaning out his diet. I think, uh, you know, when you're in this fast pace, I'm a little bit yeah. older now, but at one point in time, I was also this 23, 25-year-old startupper that didn't sleep. You don't realize the rat race you're getting yourself into and how ultimately it may impact, you know, your health. Uh, further mm-hmm. down the line, but it's something you should probably think of earlier on. So make sure you pick the right location that gives you a good uh, uh, life work benefit, like life, life work balance. Yeah, I guess as well, especially when you're doing a, an early stage company, it can be really all encompassing. It can kind of take up everything you've got and you think about it every waking moment. So if you can kind of increase the quality of life and lower down on the commute times, so you can spend more time with the family or or doing things you can enjoy then you can have the best of both and and like you said it it makes positive impacts on your health and and just your lifestyle and probably then what you can bring to the startup in general 
no question. I mean, case in point yeah. here in Sarlat, I can, you know, within 10 seconds be on my bike outside and drive down the street along the second cleanest river in the world called the Dordogne River. It's flooding okay. right now, so it's not ideal, but that's a, that's an exception. And within a 25-mile radius, we have the highest density of medieval castles in the world. There's a thousand and two castles in a 25-mile radius. So, you know, if you if you if you need a break, you have one real soon. And so, I guess, Dom, do you have any recommendations for for the major cities that you mentioned? You know, um, the likes of Singapore or or New York or, or say Silicon Valley. Is there anything they can do? to kind of stop this exodus of talent or you know, stop people from moving away in terms of being more competitive? I think, I think so. So I think part, part of it, what you're seeing, for example, is actually being provided by, by new startups, let's say in, uh, in vertical agriculture, for example, right? The more and more people mm-hmm. are concerned about what it is they're eating at, at work. There are places, for example, in Brooklyn, uh, New York, where you know, everything that you eat uh, inside the incubator is is grown uh, right then and there that you can really literally pull the the veggies off the wall. It's okay. pretty pretty amazing <laughs> stuff. You know, I I do think though that as a result of COVID, you know, the mm. the issues that we've known of of congestion, of pollution, of potential sanitary consequences are becoming more and more pronounced. Uh, I am convinced there will be somewhat of an exodus. But it, mm. not everyone will leave. You know, a, a small percentage will leave, but it will have a deep and lasting impact on the big cities. But I think it's a good thing. It will decongest the larger cities and it will kind of repopulate the small, smaller rural areas, especially the ones that basically brand themselves as welcoming to uh, technology startups, as we are here. Yeah. I think you know, if you look, there's 36,000 communes as we call them in france little municipalities Mm -hmm. most all of which have lost over the last 30 40 years a tremendous amount of uh, the population towards the big cities so i think it's time to claw some of those people back to have you know better balance between large cities and smaller ones and i guess it's the tier two cities that can really benefit from this so the the kind of cities before that maybe would have lost out um they're the ones now that are that are gaining and there's real opportunities there Especially the early movers, the ones that yeah. you know deployed fiber early on, for example, yeah. that really again branded themselves. That uh, a lot of them, what you're seeing is, too, is a brand of cities specializing themselves in a specific field, like mm. like biotech, like artificial yeah. intelligence, like cybersecurity, and kind of mm. like tacking that label onto the name of their city. I think that's a very yeah. smart move. Uh, because if you are a an entrepreneur in that field, you know, would you rather go to a one-size-fits-all type of a city or some or, or or a town that really says, "Hey, we welcome cybersecurity entrepreneurs because that's what we specialize in, and here's the ecosystem we we provide to those entrepreneurs." I guess as well, it goes back to the the marketing and the way they position the city. Because again, if they do it consistently over time, the minute you think of that niche, you'll think of that particular city. Without a doubt. And that that will then just have a have a kind of domino effect and start to attract the top talent, and then you've got that ecosystem in that city, which we touched on, is so important. Yeah. So so Dom, let's get into the last point around the moral of the story. Moral of the story is that today is probably the best time ever to launch your startup. Uh, I'd say today is also the first day of the rest of your life. So if you are a startup entrepreneur, think of that. Uh, you know. If I think back when I started in the, in the early 90s, we had a lot of challenges. First of all, unless mm. you raised a significant amount of money, you had no reason of being in business. 
I looked recently when I went through one of my storage boxes at a at a bill that I had, my bandwidth bill from March 1998. <laughs> I spent $8,000 US on bandwidth and I was using roughly a thousand times less bandwidth than I'm using today. And today I'm almost paying nothing for that bandwidth. Then I found another bill that dated uh, March of 2000, which was for an Oracle server license. If you okay. were running a website, an e-commerce website, so late 90s, early 2000s, you couldn't operate a database without an Oracle server license. And one instance of that server license cost $32,000 US. Today it's free. So again, you can do so much with so little today, which wasn't possible even 10 years ago, right? So take advantage of that, seize the opportunity. Uh, second thing I would say is you have to dev define your MVP and what I call the MTP, which is the massively transformative purpose and launch as quickly as possible, ideally immediately. Uh, don't hesitate, go in head first, iterate later on, don't tinker around, don't theorize for too long. If you do have, if you, if you do have a bona fide solution for an, ex an existing problem, bring it to market as quickly as possible because other people around you will actually try to do the same thing at the same time. You always have to be aware of that. And then the last thing I'd like to leave you with is, you know, what I call the new meaning, the new meaning of a billionaire. You know, it's obviously a term that's been widely used. You know, us being labeled as a unicorn, which obviously play a word in my last name as well, which Einhorn means unicorn in German. <laughs> Uh, but it also obviously defines a technology startup that has a valuation of a billion dollars or plus. I think the meaning of the term billionaire is changing very, very quickly. And uh, mm -hmm. what I mean by that is that uh, what you're seeing is basically uh, a flurry of billionaires popping up, but they all have one thing in common. And that thing is that they help a billion people or more, or they're on track of doing so. So rather than focusing on the money itself, focus on the impact, right? If you help a million people, you're going to at least be a millionaire, potentially a decamillionaire. If you help a billion people, you're going to, without a doubt, be a billionaire, even if you haven't figured out the monetization yet. Let's not forget when Google first started, when Facebook first started, when Twitter first started, none of them had a business model. Yeah. They just went for massive traction first and foremost. They help people find, in the case of Google, uh, case of Google. they help people connect, in the case of Facebook. They help people publish in short form, in, in the case of Twitter, without a business model, but ultimately they artificially bolted on a business model and made it work, right? Yeah. So first and foremost, they were able to reach a billion people and help them, and that's what made them who they are today. So focus on helping people first and then figure out how you can monetize it. Yes, without That's a doubt. Saying, I yeah. think if you yeah. can, if you, if you, again, and the helping is probably a key, a key part, a key part. Yeah. Uh, because you don't want to, you don't want to run the vanity business, so you do have mm -hmm. to solve a problem, right? Obviously, yeah. Google made the entire world searchable. Facebook helped us all connect. And I remember initially Facebook, before it became this devil, as <laughs> as, as we <laughs> as we know it today, people were absolutely shocked that cousins they had lost touch with for 20 years in my case as well you know reached out to me and wonder why mm -hmm. how is that even possible and it was yeah. it was this amazing feeling there's people that you had long lost touch with that you could reconnect with and make this human connection right 
I think in the case of Facebook, it's actually a little bit insidious because I think the initial intent was without a doubt the right one of connecting these people. And now, in a sense, we're being disconnected by the technology making use of us and you know interjecting uh, privacy-ridden issues and uh, advertising ad tech into in, into in the midst of, in the midst of these connections. So we're actually losing touch now, more so than gaining touch. Yeah, it's it's polarizing people nowadays, isn't it? It's given yeah. everyone a voice, and then you've got the kind of, I guess, the five or ten percent with the the extreme views on on either side that tend to scream the loudest and become louder and louder as a result of their yes. algorithm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Dom, is there any any advice you'd give to the listeners out there that maybe they want to do a startup, they've got this great idea, but they're just, they're really nervous about taking that chance, you know, whether it's having to give up a job or, um, you know, they've still got to support a family or support themselves, and they just think, God, I could never do that because it, it would just be too too risky for me. I know the barriers to entry are so low, but I just I just can't take that risk. Yeah, I'm going to leave you with two thoughts on that one. I'm going to answer this in two different ways. Number one, my experience shows that roughly one person out of 20, 5%, are cut out to be an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. So if you're not, don't worry. There's nothing wrong about it, right? Because it takes tremendous sacrifice. There's no doubt. You have have to have this ability to take a hit and get back up. You have mm-hmm. to go suffer through pain, friction, etc. You have to be willing to lose friendships to a certain extent in order to make it happen. So it, it does take an extreme frame of mind. Mm-hmm. That being said, what I, what I think, and that's, I'm going to leave you on a more positive note, is <laughs> the real fear there is usually fear of failure. And that's a cultural thing that's deeply ingrained in most of us that you have to break through, and it's not that difficult to break through. So... When I went to the US from France, when I was 23, 24 years old, I came up with the mm-hmm. rule of 36 over one. Okay. And basically what I did back in the 90s, early 90s, is I was selling websites when no one knew what a website was, or the few that yep. did, didn't believe they actually needed one. So I actually had to speak to 35 people in order to make one sale, which means mm-hmm. I had to fail 35 times in a row on average before I'd have a small success. Mm-hmm. Yet a few years later, I sold that company for seven figures. Okay. While I was failing 95% of the time. Yeah. Right. So even even great athletes like Michael Jordan said, "Look, you know, I'm considered the best basketball player in the history of the game, but remember one thing: I failed on more shots than I made." Mm-hmm. So don't be afraid of, of 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 failure because failure is a stepping stone to success. But at the same time, you've got to have that self-belief in what you're doing in the product and you've got to really have that resilience to keep getting thick, back up every time you get thin. punched yeah yeah grit resilience dedication discipline without a doubt yeah yeah even when other people are telling you it's not going to work or you're doing the wrong thing you've just got to keep believing in yourself especially when they do so if you yeah. feel like like when they're telling you this you actually something fires up your engine fires yeah. up inside of you then you're cut out for it love it so powerful Dom, I've really enjoyed the the conversation. Thank you for talking, you know, me and the listeners all, all through around uh, why and where you should incubate your tech startup. I got so much value out of that. Really, 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 really good. Um, just to close, Dom, I just wanted to round off with one life or career lesson you'd like to share with the listeners. Whew, where would I even start? Uh, <laughs> I would, I would, I would say though, don't take the first deal that's being pitched to you, whether you're selling mm. or buying. 
and that goes back to a, an early experience that I had as an entrepreneur uh, pitching an investor in a time where investors were scarce for technology startups. I'm talking 1994. Mm-hmm. Uh, made that first deal. I don't want to say with the devil, but close to it. And uh, it was a vaccine, put it this way. Okay. And I never did it again <laughs> afterwards. This is all about knowing when to say no and what to say no to. I was too young. I mean, back yeah. then, what, I, it's, it's funny because you mentioned this because it's probably even a better, a better lesson for everyone is yeah. the ability to say no because back then I was saying yes to everyone. It's, it's very easy to fall into that habit as well, isn't it? When you feel like you really need to say yes or you need to take this opportunity. Otherwise, um, you don't know what tomorrow might look like. Yeah, yeah. So, Dom, how can people get in touch if they want to find out more? Easiest way is LinkedIn. Um, the only Dom Einhorn on there, D-O-M. <laughs> Last name is E-I-N-H-O-R-I-N. The website is unicorninkubator.com, unicorn with a Q. And uh, my personal email is dom at unicorninkubator.com. Again, unicorn with a Q, not a C. And Einhorn means unicorn in German. That is correct. So you were born, you were born to do this. Well, it's funny, when I go to tech <laughs> technology conferences in Germany, the first question they yeah. ask me is when I change my last name. <laughs> when did you? <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Dom, I've really, really enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for, for coming on Digital Transformation and Leadership and, and sharing all your wisdom and insights with the listeners. Thanks so much for having me, Danny. You've made it to the end of another episode of Digital Transformation and Leadership. If you're enjoying the show, please do leave us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. No need to leave a written review. Just clicking on the five stars is enough. I'd really appreciate it as it helps the show get found and it helps those listener numbers grow. And we'll be back again next week when we will again go behind the scenes with another top business leader to understand how they're digitally transforming their company. The Digital Transformation and Leadership Podcast is a Blue Aurora Media Production.